episode is Cracking the EDI Code, Making Sense of Common EDI Jargon. Welcome to Exclusion, a podcast that explores all things equity, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace. Exclusion is brought to you by Canadian Equality Consulting and BR Consulting. Uh, welcome to today's episode. Uh, today we're chatting about what's in a name, EDI, important terms and definitions. So thank you so much for joining us today. Hey everyone, Alicia's here too. Mm-hmm. And we hope that uh, that you'll enjoy our conversation and, and that you'll want to keep engaging with us. Um, you can now find us on social media. Woohoo! Yeah, we're on <laughs> Facebook if you search for Exclusion Podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, uh, and you can find us by looking for exclusion low dash EDI. That's right. And we're also, um, our main housing for uh, this is on Buzzsprout, but you can also now find us on iTunes, Google Playlist, Spotify, and tune in if you use an Alexis. Woohoo! Um, So our hope is that this episode can be one that you can refer back to uh, over and over again or as much as you need um, because EDI and EDI terms are new to many people and they're also kind of jargony. So people in the diversity and inclusion space or in HR uh, type roles may be very familiar to these types of terms and definitions that we'll share with you today. And we will try not to make it too boring. I know terms and definitions, (laughs) but we will try to make it as lively as we can. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and in future podcasts, we try, we're trying hard not to be, not to use a lot of jargon, um, so that our podcast can be as, as accessible as possible. Um, but, uh, but we wanted to share some of these, uh, really important definitions with you today, um, because they're often used kind of interchangeably or incorrectly. Um, so we just want to, uh, to share that with you and we'll be talking about, uh, equality, equity, diversity, intersectionality, inclusion, unconscious bias, power, privilege, and allyship. And, and we do recognize that even our definitions may be different than other people's. So by all means, if, if you feel that we're using a word incorrectly, uh, we have social media now. So you can contact mm, us and discuss it. absolutely. And, and we, uh, we'd love to have a discussion online, uh, maybe a Facebook discussion or something on, on some of these terms. But we are trying to use the most up-to-date version of them. But now before we jump in, as always... Um, we would like to express that in the spirit of respect, re- reciprocity, and truth, we acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the traditional territories and oral practices of the Treaty 7 region in Southern Alberta and Region 3, Métis Nation. We acknowledge all nations, Indigenous and non, who live, work, and play on these lands, and to all who assist in their stewardship for generations to come. Okay, let's jump in. So EDI, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion... Uh, in case you missed our first episode, um, has been around for over 15 years. 
And through these years, much has been learned and gained. And there's always room for further clarification and further improvement. Um, So just know that the definitions that we present today are the definitions as of today. And they vary and evolve um, over time. So you, you know, like Alicia said, you may have meant, heard them in different contexts, um, but, uh, but please, um, you know, we'd love to hear from you uh, if that's the case. Um, but we have tried to uh, find the definitions that are most up to date and most broadly used and accepted by uh, international protocols, the federal government and uh, provincial definitions as well. So one of the references that we found quite useful is is um, the comes out of the five one nine out of Ontario, and it's called the five one nine glossary of terms. We will put this link on so that you can find it. It's just a really encompassing um, list of terms, and uh, to help you out. And also, we've been looking at federal governments and and provinces uh, each have their own guidelines. They will be slightly different. Uh, and a fairly robust one uh, is the Ontario Human Rights Commission. And though even last night, Marcy and I realized that some of their, their stuff is a little bit out of date. But we will put all these uh, in our resources um, for you to overview. So let's begin with equity and equality. Now, this is a, this is a, a good one to start off with. <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> it's yeah. a big one and often very much misunderstood. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. It's, they're often used interchanged. Um, which is incorrect, and they're often confused with each other. And a lot of people, even in the DNI space, um, use them in ways that uh, isn't the most effective. Let's just say, and and and, and they can it can be harmful if if it's not understand understood <laughs> exactly. So to give you an overview, so equity is essentially the practice of ensuring fair, inclusive, and respectful treatment of all people. Uh, with consideration of individual and group diversities. So it means treatment according to people's respective needs. And that can mean different treatment based upon historical or social disadvantages, for example. Um, On the other hand, equality is essentially the goal of identifying systemic barriers and removing them entirely to ensure people can achieve um, what they want in life. Or and can lead to equality of opportunity or equality of outcomes. So equality is essentially when everyone enjoys the same rights and all people benefit equally in all aspects of society, wherein factors such as gender, race, sexual orientation, etc., do not limit your rights and benefits in society. So what's important to note is that equality doesn't mean everyone should be the same. Or even needs the same things. Yes, it's not equal treatment. It's not the term. And I think that's yeah. where things get missed is that the thought of is everyone must be treated equally. equally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's kind of a play on words and it's so easily confused. Um, but equality is not equal treatment or same treatment. Um, and an equity uh, just taking a step back, is giving everyone what they need to be successful. So if you look at how equity, how do equity and equality, you know, relate to each other, is equity is essentially, equity is the process or means to achieve equality. That's right. They're not at the same spot. I think that's where people misunderstand. They figure they can either do one or the other, Mm -hmm. but one is helping to lead to the other. Yeah. So equity 
interventions or equity programs could be like creating a mentorship program for certain individuals within your organization that may be, um, there may be barriers to their advancement in your company. So you create a specific program or equity program for them in order to assist them. Um, equity initiatives could also include hiring quotas or hiring targets, things like that. Some, any type of intervention you make <clears throat> to try to uh, lead to equality would be an equity initiative. So it's that helping hand or a hand up that some people may need just to access a program in the same way as dominant groups are able to in our society. And you know, it, it's when you when you think about quotas, uh, we're not trying to say this in a negative way. Like, it, you know, what's coming to mind to me right now is that movie that just came out, that late night movie where the female writer was the equity hire. Yeah, <laughs> right. I haven't seen that yet. I, I haven't seen to. it either, but I want to see it. It looks, <laughs> it looks really so good. good. <laughs> but I think I've heard uh, a few co- podcasts on it, and they're just trying to say that quotas. Um, are seen in a, as a negative yeah. and that, that people who are hired through a quota, they end up being the equity hire mm-hmm. and how that can really limit them. So, so there is ways that you can do it, even if there's the idea of quotas that um, through equity, diversity and inclusion, it makes it so that a quota really isn't even needed. It might be yeah. a number to achieve achievable, yeah. but uh, it's definitely, it's just a way to f- realize that what have you done that didn't allow you to pick right. the best people from your underrepresented groups? Exactly. It's so interesting because there was that trend of quotas and then there was such backlash and then now the trend is having targets. That's right. Right? Like a soft target. <laughs> that makes it okay. <laughs> More digestible. Well, and, and, and then women were f- trying to, they'd always have to defend themselves saying, or any underrepresented group saying, I'm, uh, like, I, I'm, I have worth. I am yeah. here. And to, so don't think that if someone's hired and they're not like you, that they are a, a quota. A quota. Filling yeah. some sort of criteria. It's just yeah. that they weren't able to have the same access, equitable That's right. access. That's right. That you had. So, yeah. And then you probably heard of equality of opportunity and equality of outcome. These were uh, hot topics in the last provincial election. Um, and, and that's also interesting. So equality of opportunity is a phrase that often means, um, reducing or eliminating barriers for accessing a certain program or a certain opportunity. Uh, quality of outcome is not only just reducing the barriers to access, but continuing to examine and remove barriers throughout the program, throughout accessing it, for example, to help ensure everyone gets to the desired outcome in the end. So, you know, what was frustrating about that is the fact, once again, that they're being used as an equal thing, whereas they could, do we have to have one or the, can we not work together, people? (laughs) (laughs) And and you could even argue equality of outcome incorporates equality of opportunity. That's right. In it already. That's right. I don't know. Yeah. It's play on words. Yes. Um, And it's a whole other podcast to jump into it in (laughs) full detail. (laughs) And I mean, we have seen that research has shown time and time again that access to service, supports, opportunities, and attaining economic, political, and social fairness um, cannot be achieved by treating individuals in exactly the same way. So equity honors and accommodates these specific needs of individuals and groups. So the long-term goal is the removal of all systemic barriers. And only then is equality reached. And there's a popular illustration that helps explain this. And, uh, and you, you might have seen it. Um, there's some, there's three children. 
uh, different heights, looking at a, a baseball diamond, or sometimes it's a soccer field. Um, yeah, this is a pretty big one on the internet. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, just Google, you yeah. know, equity, equality, three children, baseball. Exactly. <laughs> you'll see the illustration. And you'll see different variations of it with improper uses of these terms as well. And it's evolved. Even from the first time I saw it a few years ago, yeah. it is different than it is now. Wow. It, the illustration itself has evolved over time. Yeah. Okay. Remind so, yes, me. I'll put explain. a link to it in our resources to yeah. the correct one. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, and we'll post it on social media maybe. Um, so there are, so essentially, I'm going to tell you a bit of a story. So there are three children. Picture this. Yeah. Picture, Picture this. Close your eyes. Deep breath. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> there are three children of different heights standing on a street uh, looking at a solid fence and it's opaque and they're, and they're, there's fireworks being shown up in the air on the other side of this fence. Um, but the three children are blocked by this fence. So one child is, is older and taller than the other. And, uh, and their head peeks just over the top of the fence. So they can watch the fireworks. Um, the second child is younger and smaller and cannot see over the fence. So can't see anything in the sky. And the third child is in a wheelchair. So uh, is too low down and cannot see over the fence either. So if we were to treat all children the same, so equal treatment or same treatment, we would provide each child with the exact same thing. So let's say we give them all the same height of box to stand on. That would hopefully allow them to see the fireworks. So this would result in the first tallest child standing on a box that they don't need, uh, just being able to you know continue to watch the show. Um, the second child will have received the boost that they need and their little face can now peer over the fence so they can see. And the third child in the wheelchair, the box has done nothing for them. So they still cannot see the game. They can't get on top of the box. There's no ramp. So no fireworks for him. Yeah. Yeah. Or her. Or her. <laughs> or any of them. Really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's same treatment. Now let's talk about equitable treatment. So when we look at an equity intervention... So we would now consider the unique needs of each child. So certain, we'd, and we'd understand that different interventions are needed for each one. So equity would give the ch each child a different support. Um, so in this case, the first child doesn't need any intervention. They can already see the fireworks. Uh, the second smaller child, you know, we would give them a box so they'd be able to stand on it and see over the fence. And the third child would get a wheelchair ramp up to a raised platform in order to be able to uh, see the fireworks over the fence. So that is considered equitable treatment. Now, imagine a scenario where all three children can effectively view the fireworks without any support or accommodation. So that would be that you would have addressed the initial cause of the inequality in the first place. Take so the fence. down the fence. Yeah. <laughs> Take down the fence. <laughs> so when you remove the fence entirely from the scenario, the outcome for all three children would be to freely see the fireworks. And that is equality. And that could be, you know, either removing it entirely or changing, changing it to a chain link fence or, or whatever your imagination can hold for the situation. Or give the poor kids some tickets so they can go to the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but then there still be some they can't see. So, yeah. yes. But yes, I think the point here is to, to try to illustrate that uh, 
equal treatment is not is not mm-hmm. what we're talking about here. And yeah. it's often misunderstood. And we're trying to illustrate um, for you a way to think of this so that maybe you can look around you and see where uh, where you could help with, with equitable treatment in order for everyone to mm-hmm. ultimately reach inequality within their workplace, within sports, within with whatever you happen to be participating in. Right. Yeah. All right, so now let's move on to diversity. So the definition of diversity from the um, Ontario Human Rights Commission uh, states the the presence of a wide range of human qualities and attributes within an individual group or or organization. So diversity includes such factors such as age, sex, race, ethnicity, physical and intellectual ability, religion, sexual orientation, educational background, and expertise. So as of late, this has been a huge focus. This is quite often when people get into equity, diversity, inclusion, say in a company, diversity is often the first thing that they look at. And it's kind of the uh, the low rung of, of how you can address some of your uh, current uh, issues within within companies. But um, and it's also definitely ways that that people have used to try to um, to do recruiting within their greater workforce. But the problem with just focusing on diversity is that um, quite often unconscious bias can affect the outcome of these efforts. So we do not have a a ton of time to jump into this topic today, uh, but we do want to give you a few resources so that you can go and look at it yourself. Uh, There's groups such as West, the West Coast Women in Engineering Science and Technology. They teamed up with Simon Fraser University through NSERC granting uh, to try to create some illustrative white pages on these on topics like this. Uh, these are great illustrations um, and a, a valuable resource, especially if you're just starting to understand these types of things. We will include a link uh, later. But when, when we talk about unconscious bias, uh, the, assum- the assumption and conclusions we jump to, we just do these without thinking. So uh, the biases, and we're all biased. <laughs> You can mm-hmm. you can think you're not biased, but believe me, we we all have our biases. Yeah. I uh, thought I was pretty good, and then I did the test. Did online, you? And nope, <laughs> no, everyone is biased. Everyone <laughs> is biased, <laughs> and, and you're not doing these intentional, but yet the impact can be severe. And and Marcy, I remember you saying this at a presentation once, and it was quite shocking to me. But within the first seven seconds of meeting someone, you will have a solid impression of who you feel they are, and only a tenth of a second to determine traits like trustworthiness. So that is literally the blink of an eye. So you will look at someone and decide in a blink of an eye if you trust that person or not. These judgments um, are influenced by our past experiences and and stereotypes that we may hold uh, within our own life experiences. Um, And there may be reasons that we've carried these with us. And part of understanding unconscious bias is to know when you carry them and if there's a way you you can change them. And like I said, we don't want to jump into this here today. This is a whole other topic. But there's some pretty uh, prominent examples of this, especially, um, well, I'm from the tech world or STEM world, so I would know more of those. And Marcy, you would definitely come from another angle. But um, there's study after study to show where uh, resumes are submitted and one says John and one says Jane, Mm -hmm. and it can be exactly the same, but yet the outcome will uh, benefit John over Jane. But uh, another one is even um, people's names. So uh, there's evidence that when companies think that they 
actually are trying to be using equity, diversity, inclusion, but maybe they're in the beginning of this, that sometimes people will let their guard down and maybe they have a more... Uh, a name that has a, a, a richer ethnic background. So maybe in other situations, they would give a more North American name mm-hmm. and uh, and to get the job. But then when they think that companies are doing doing EDI, that they will let their guard down and, and put mm-hmm. put their true name on wow. or their true background down. Some of, some of the groups that they've worked with in the past that uh, maybe not, not, not uh, normally seen. Um, and those people actually end up not getting the job just because of unconscious bias. So, so it, it can definitely affect. And, and Marcy, you may have a couple other examples. Mm-hmm. So I found one from science faculty just for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, so there's this study where um, science faculty members had to uh, review applications and, uh, and, then, and the applications were identical. And, and again, it was a male versus female name on them. And, uh, and they had to rate each application for this laboratory manager position. And they all rated the male applicants as significantly more competent and hireable than the female ones. And they also selected a higher starting salary and even offered um, to provide in the job offer more career mentoring and like advancement support opportunities to uh to the applicant that had the male name well isn't that fun (laughs) yeah exactly and and what's interesting about these unconscious biases is you know we all have them and they're often amplified when we're under stress or under time constraints um then we revert kind of naturally and physiologically to uh to stereotypes and to snap judgments on other people um, well, I think they say that uh, rec- those who are recruiting will look at a resume for 10 seconds before they put it in one pile or wow. the other. Right? Yeah. Oh, so dear. there you go. <laughs> and, and so stay tuned because we hope to delve deeper into this uh, unconscious bias and share some personal stories in upcoming episodes. But what we want to kind of leave you with on, on this note is that everyone has biases and it's normal to have this. They've been programmed into us. Um, by our culture, the place we live, influence of dominant groups in our society, um, among other things. And it's just important to make sure that you self-examine what yours are so you can take action to mitigate and reduce their impact on your life and on the decisions and judgments that you make. Absolutely. So in a work environment, diversity can mean many things from education to gender to past experiences due to age or other factors. And diversity can also mean diversity of thought which is looking beyond identity demographics or cognitive diversity, which includes thought, experience, personalities. Now, it can be argued that diversity of identity by demographics can create diversity of thought because different demographics have very different experiences in life and whatnot. So basically, you bring your experiences with you, right? So if, you've, if we've all gone to, <laughs> we all went to the same university until we're taught by the same teacher, um, that that wouldn't necessarily get us the diversity of thought that that we want um, to move to move on, right? So, uh, to gain benefits and diversity in business, organizations need to leverage both types of diversity. It is important to pay attention to both to both of these, um, and sometimes they overlap, which is can definitely generate some better results. Mm-hmm. Um, another important concept that we wanted to uh, touch on today 
um, that helps you understand diversity as well is intersectionality. So you may have heard this one. Um, it's gaining in uh, popularity and in mainstream kind of dialogue in the DNI world. But the term was coined initially by a scholar named Kimberly Crenshaw. And, uh, and just please know that um, we're not getting too deep into this term today. Um, we hope to in a future episode. But um, if you're left wanting more and, uh, and want more to you know, round out your understanding, please, uh, we'll have some links to her um, in the resources section of our podcast. But so we recommend uh, you look her up because she has many papers and YouTube videos and she even has talks. A, she even has a podcast now. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, so take a look at the resources section, but essentially the term was first used in about the 1980s, um, because, and it was used to describe, um, a way to talk about the experiences of black women and how they differ from black men and white women. So, uh, and over the years, it's now since expanded beyond just gender and race and includes other identity factors like ageism, ableism, Um, and many others, but it's essentially the understanding that as individuals, we're all complex beings and we have a multitude of identity factors that help form who we are. And that includes not only just race and gender, but sex, ethnicity, religion, age, mental, physical ability, geography, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on. Um, And it's important to note that there's no hierarchy of identity factors. So No one factor is more important than the other, um, but some may be more dominant in people than others. Um, And Kimberly Crenshaw explains that these factors uh, and how they relate to each other can actually compound. So they can compound discrimination or oppression and result in like double discrimination. So if you look at race and gender or uh, race, gender and sexual orientation, um, it can lead to double or triple discrimination depending on uh, you know what identity group you belong to. So, for example, women of color are often exposed to more unconscious bias within the job search process. And this group can also experience higher levels of negative working experiences and microaggressions, including sexual violence um, from their male versus just their male counterparts or even just their... Uh, white female counterparts. Another example is when we look at uh, African-American girls are six times more likely to be suspended from school than white girls. So that's not a gender. It's not a a female problem. It's also a racial issue. So um, that's a good example of intersectionality and how different identity factors like race, gender, and others interact and compound each other to form different experiences. Um, And we'd like to uh, include an interview in a future episode um, to help describe this in a little more detail. So please stay tuned for that. Absolutely. And and now let's move on to inclusion. So the 519 519 glossary describes inclusion as an approach that aims to reach out to and include all people honoring that diversity and and uniqueness, talents, beliefs, backgrounds, capabilities, and ways of living of individuals and groups. There is much attention being paid in corporate in the corporations right now uh, to diversity. But inclusion is just as important. Um, what good is it to recruit the most diverse pool of talented people if the culture that they work in or the environment that they work in 
does not allow them to to be successful. And then you'll have a retention problem. That's right. <laughs> you have those really wonderful people come in and then they will go out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and actually, Deloitte created a really great report. It's called Waiter. Is there inclusion in my soup? A new recipe, uh, new recipe to improving business performance. Man, I wish I was that good at making names <laughs> of things. <laughs> That's a great name to report. And actually, if you read it, there's a, I whoever wrote the report definitely has a bit of a humorous personality because it was actually a pretty good read. <laughs> but when uh, Deloitte modeled their relationship between diversity and inclusion and business performance, they identified an uplift of eighty percent when both conditions were high. So that's that's amazing <laughs> that yeah. if when you can actually it's not just about diversity it's not just about inclusion but when there's diversity and inclusion and they're worked well together the uplift is 80 percent uh, more specifically employees who perceived that their organization was committed to this to the support of diversity and inclusion um they were 80 percent more likely to believe um, that they worked at a high performance organization. So talk about a way to engage your your mm-hmm. people, right? That's so huge. that's right. And even when there is high diversity and low inclusion or low diversity and high inclusion, the business outcomes are never as impressive um, as in the high diversity, high inclusion combination. That's awesome. So you may be wondering how can you make your workplace more inclusive? So Deloitte found that the feelings of inclusion are driven by perceptions of one, fairness and respect, and two, value and belonging. So these two elements build upon one another as well. And a key component of this, excuse me, is work-life balance. So this is another topic that we'll get into deeper in the future. (laughs) It's a big one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> popular and and focusing on the Deloitte study they found that an employee's ability to balance their work life commitments is a key driver of their feelings of inclusion and that makes sense right because every employee wants to feel that they have uh, independence and control over their work environment and their home environment and and the you know the difference between the two and it signals that an employee is seen as a whole person and has a life within and outside the workplace. And you're able to bring your whole self to both of them. So they found that this work-life balance also read as a really uh, key signal of the organization's uh, support for diversity. Absolutely. And the balancing act between diversity and inclusion success is often associated with the culture that a company can create. And and culture is really interesting because it's something that can come with history and it's something that can be created um, by the people that are there. Uh, And it is definitely something that's socially, it's a social construction. It's not something that's just set. It can be changed. So for example, if a company is diverse, um, even if a company is diverse, if the culture is such a way that employees do not feel that they are supported in this space, Uh, where they cannot show vulnerability maybe to speak up. Maybe they have a supervisor that that doesn't let them speak their truth when they, for a scientist, maybe you you have results that the company doesn't want to see. But if you don't feel that that you can be vulnerable and speak to um, what it is that needs to be said, uh, either professionally or personally, like um, I've heard stories of, male engineers who are scared to ask their bosses if they can take the morning off to take their kindergartner to their first day of school, right? Like if you can't feel that 
empowered and the autonomy to ask that, then you're going to create a culture where the employees are not engaged. Um, And recruiting the brightest, most diverse minds and backgrounds is all for naught if workers do not feel that they can fully use their skills due to a lack of inclusion. Meanwhile, a company that uh, may not be very diverse and have high levels of inclusion. And in this scenario, uh, you know, you may feel very, it may feel very inviting within your workspace, but the lack of diversity can actually create a culture of groupthink Mm -hmm. and prevent the organization from reaching their full innovative potential. And there's actually quite a few examples in this within the tech world. (laughs) Which group was it where it was uh, the Macho Boys, I think? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was... um, it could have been PayPal, but one of those yeah. groups where they all went to school together, yeah. they all knew each other, oh and they created a great company, but then when they got bigger, they realized, oh, there's a lot of things we hadn't thought about, because, yeah. you know, they were all educated the same, they all went to school together, and it really created problems later once they got larger, because they had not worked at this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So a group thing can... can um, can really prevent the the long-term innovative potential of your people. Mm-hmm. And as you may imagine, success in all of these topics relies uh, heavily on leadership. So if employees do not see their leaders commit to equity, diversity, and inclusion, the company's efforts will not be successful. So cultures that value EDI and create EDI leaders all throughout their organization are really important. So moving into our next definition. Um, This includes allyships, um, which are based upon the understanding of power and privilege. So as leaders, power and privilege um, is incredibly important. And if you're in a position of leadership, you probably have a degree of power and privilege in your company. But each of us have some sort of form of this depending on our own intersections and our own identities. So essentially, privilege is the idea that some individuals have more inherent rights in society compared to others solely because of the identity group or groups that they belong to. So if we put aside the myth around, you know, how hard someone works, privilege is the notion that someone has more rights and power just because they are in the dominant identity category in society. And if you're not in the dominant identity category in society, then you may be disadvantaged based solely on the identity category that you belong to, which is the meaning of oppression. And there's a good exercise if you look it up online called the power flower that you can do yourself in order to uh, kind of identify your and help you uh, tangibly see areas where you may have privilege and be oppressed. (laughs) (laughs) So you can have both at the same time. It is actually a reality for, for many uh, so, for example, women and, no- and gender non-conforming people are more often excluded or disadvantaged in things such as decision-making and leadership, access and control over resources, labor market participation, and economic security, and health, safety, and social resources. This disadvantage, um, it, it really, it's amplified when we consider other intersections such as race, socioeconomic status, gender identity, and s- sexual orientation. And to combat this, allyship is incredibly important. So within the workplace and in society, if you or I have any of us have any uh, identity factor or factors that are privileged, um, 
please view this as a call to action. So this is an opportunity for you to become an ally and an advocate for those who are not as privileged as you may be. Marcy, I actually have two really great stories from the STEM world to help us to kind of discuss this. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. So uh, actually just a, about a week ago, there was an article in the New York Times uh, bought by Pam Bellick, and she described how the director of the National Institute of Health in the United States, Dr. Francis S. Collins, announced that he was no longer going to speak at conferences that did not show a strong commitment to diversity and makeup of their panels. So here's a quote from Dr. Collins from the article. I want to send a clear message of concern. It is time to end the tradition of science as an all man of all men speaking panels. Starting now, when I consider speaking invitations, I will expect a high level playing field where scientists of all backgrounds and elevated, um, sorry, backgrounds are elevated fairly for speaking opportunities. If the attention to inclusivity is not evident in the agenda, I will decline to take part. He then challenged other specific leaders in his field to do the same. And this is an example of a being an ally. And I personally don't know, know this man or his work, but from what I've read, he's actually pretty commonly asked to sit on panels and um, people want to hear what he has to say. So uh, he's saying he is not going to participate anymore unless he ha- gets to have uh, a fair share of people on the panel with him. That's so great. And, and we've heard there's also been a lot of news stories about celebrities, right? And high profile movies that then offered that refuse roles unless their female uh, counterparts get paid equally. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, and and, I, and then I came across another article. Um, I think this one was from the fall. Uh, it was a Forbes article. Yeah, from November last year. And the author's name was Shiri Akison. And the title was called Allyship, the Key to Unlocking the Power of Diversity. And she explained how in a 2016 U.S. study, it showed that white people are represented at much higher rates in the tech sector um, in the U.S., especially in the executive category uh, than the rest of the the private sector. And it was sitting at like 83%, <laughs> like it was very much off. And this is about 15% higher than say like the general population um, within the corporations. So the non-leadership population, um, it was 15% higher once you got to that next echelon of, of uh, the, the lack of diversity. And within this executive category, other groups um, were significantly lower, including African Americans were only sitting at two to five point three percent, Hispanics at three point one to five point two three percent, and Asian Americans at ten point six to nineteen point five percent. And the representation um, of these in in an intersectional lens was even lower. <laughs> so, for example, uh, between twenty fifteen and twenty. Or 20, or 2007 and 2015, there had been about a 13% decrease in the number of black women professionals. And even though white women were now statistically more successful in reaching those executive levels than all minorities uh, that were men and women, white men were still 47% more likely than uh, the white women to be at that executive position. Wow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so... After giving these statistics, um, and she wanted to explain some of the ways that that 
we could help combat this. Mm -hmm. And a reminder from episode one, uh, to capitalize on innovative potential, you need representation of of a much larger diverse group uh, in order to really, uh, to improve uh, creating that, that uh, innovation. So to evoke this change, the mo- we need the majority to help and uh, we need supports and advocacy for the minority. And this is really what allyship is. So if engaged correctly, correctly, allies hold the power and the key to simulate positive change. And she reminded us that Everyone has the ability to be an ally, as privilege is in itself intersectional. Mm -hmm. So therefore, white women can be um, actionable allies for people of color. Men can be allies to women. Cis people can be allies to members of the LGBTQI plus community. Uh, Able-bodied people can be allies to those with different abilities. Economically privileged people can be allies to those who who are not as much as them. And so on, and so on, and so on. There's no lack of uh, combinations of intersectionality. Uh, but allies need to use more than their words. And she really stressed this, that you need to sync it with actions. So Ally, Allyship is a verb. Yeah. Right? Isn't that the truth? Yeah, exactly. And so some allyship examples included lifting others up by advocating, sharing growth opportunities with others, not viewing venting as a personal attack, Recognizing systemic inequalities, uh, believe underrepresented people's experiences, and most importantly, listen, support, self-reflect, and change. And and I loved what I loved about the article was she also gave examples of direct personal actions that we can all do to help ignite a more inclusive environment. And these included um, becoming a sponsor, champion champion someone from an underrepresented community, or support career growth and increase company to help increase company retention. And it's important to note that sponsorship is different than mentorship. Mm -hmm. Sponsoring is being actively involved in aiding someone's career progression. Mentoring is providing advice. Exactly. And you can also call out inappropriate behavior. So people in privileged positions have the ability to call out unacceptable behavior towards underrepresented people and be heard. So underrepresented people may not be comfortable raising issues due to a fear of backlash or risk of jeopardizing professional relationships. So allyship can be really important in these situations. Absolutely. And task all employees with getting involved with diversity and inclusion related tasks. Everyone should be involved. They should not fall on the shoulders on the under under uh, representative populations. And I know there's examples of this in the STEM world. Um, I've gone to conferences where uh, I've met other young young women, and you ask them what they do at, at a company, and they will say, well, I'm an engineer, but they've tasked me with the equity, diversity, yeah. inclusion. <laughs> it's yeah. like, well, welcome to the company. <laughs> yeah. I, that That's a much too large of a task to be putting on, you know, someone that's just starting out in their career. No, you, you got to leave it to the professionals, and you have to then teach everybody how to be involved in this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's everyone's responsibility. Um, And also use inclusive language. Uh, So be a role model for others in that way. And be aware of gendered terms. Uh, Use language which embraces all diverse people in all of their diversity. So for example, um, try using partner instead of gendered terms such as girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife. Um, So play around with that and try to be more inclusive of those also in the LGBTQ2S plus community. 
Absolutely. And rolling out unconscious bias training regularly. This is a growing process and we all need to continue challenging ourselves and our peers to aid growth in, in learning in this space. And, and really, if you take it once, you, you do realize after you're aware of this, how much you change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you think back, you know, a few years before and what you used to um, find as a bias versus now. So no, this is, it's not just to take it once and then mm-hmm. move on. <laughs> yeah, it's constant. You have to keep checking yourself. Um, and also try different recruitment methods. So experiment a bit, uh, try to attract and retain uh, your employees um, using different methods. So non-traditional methods, um, other than just, you know, posting jobs on your website or through traditional recruitment, Um, go to uh, different organizations, um, contact, tap into different networks, uh, diverse population networks or other employee resource groups and uh, and try these alternative methods and uh, you'll be happy with what you find. Absolutely. And it can be even something small. For example, you can actually take um, your recruitment page and put it through. There's there's online resources mm-hmm. where you can put it through like a gender lens and it can actually point out words that um, may be gendered and it may explain why you <laughs> notice that you only get male applicants or female yeah. applicants. So uh, gender neutral language, for example, can help you with a, a larger recruitment circle. And then also recognizing privilege and the use of it to amplify under underrepresented voices. So make the effort to have those uncomfortable conversations with yourself, understanding the systemic and social issues which may have played in your favor uh, can be an eye-opening experience and allow to use the privilege to amplify those who um, who don't have what you have. And you know, Marcy, I actually remember the first time I realized that. Uh, I was helping a, a young female geoscientist. Uh, it was a Muslim. She had a Muslim background, and um, she was trying to break in as a geologist. And I remember giving her all of the things that I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was already at the company in a different role, and I said, "Well, if I was you, I would do A, B, C, D, and E, and F." And mm-hmm. and I told her all these great things to do, and that had helped me along the way. And she did everything I asked. And I remember she still. <laughs> She never did make it um, into the geoscience role. And that's where I realized how fortunate I had been by being Canadian educated mm-hmm. and uh, Canadian experience mm-hmm. and my connections um, had helped me along the way. And that was that was actually my first time really opening myself to my own privilege uh, from when I got my first job. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And what you can also do to be an ally is try to follow an array of voices. Um, so learning and growth uh, cannot happen without yourself being challenged and, uh, and open to new experiences, ideas, and opportunities. So try to follow diverse and different people and really listen to them. So challenge yourself to cross-examine your biases after learning from different voices. And this is getting easier and easier with so many podcasts out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and uh, and we'll dig deeper into allyship in a future episode for sure. Absolutely. Um, so allyship is such an important topic um, that, yeah, as we mentioned, we will we will take this and, and expand on it in the future. Um, yeah, because it, yeah, it, it, it def- we definitely want to find ways that we're not hindering others. Mm-hmm. And like that, our time is up. So some key takeaways from this episode include, one, equity focuses on giving everyone what they need to be successful, and equity is the process or program or initiative that leads to equality. 
Two, unconscious bias affects the success of all EDI initiatives. Three, an important concept to understand within diversity is intersectionality, and as humans, we are complex beings. Four, workplaces cannot be successful without addressing both diversity of identity and diversity of thought and inclusion. And an inclusive workplace is driven by the perceptions of both, one, fairness and respect, and two, value and belonging. And lastly, five, a key part of changing culture to being diverse, inclusive, and equitable is to understand power and privilege and how these factors can be transformed into allyship. All right. So don't forget to check out our resource section of the podcast to find references to this episode. And once again, you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, um, and uh, Intune, Buzzsprout. And uh, make sure you hit subscribe because the more the more you do that, the more we know that people are listening and not to mention it would feel really good to know people are listening to what we're saying. Please subscribe. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and also we're going to leave you with a challenge on this one. And we're asking everyone out there, um, what privilege do you think you have and how can you be an ally to others? So please leave us your thoughts in the comments uh, or uh contact us on social media and we can continue this conversation and look for us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we look forward to chatting more. And until next time. Bye for now.